NAD Ministerial presents Best Practices, the podcast. I want for us to turn there to the Old Testament. I'm going to read Welcome to E-Huddle. <laughs> and this morning we're having a baby dedication. You know, every now and then. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit Holy Spirit. We're about to go eat. I want to thank you for the food. Is there a second to the motion? To present to you the happiest newlyweds in all the land. Muy buenos días, amigos, hermanos y familias. God, give us strength and power to live like you told us to live. Welcome to the Best Practices Podcast. I'm Halloran. Muriel Rukeyser said... The universe is made of stories, not atoms. Stories tell us where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. They tell us who we've been, who we are, and who we are becoming. They are the connective tissue between generations, the repository of history's greatest lessons. The most amazing communicator in the history of history is Jesus, hands down. And he had the most important message to communicate. And how did he do it? With stories. This episode, we focus on the power of storytelling in three acts. In Act One, one of America's greatest storytellers and teachers of the craft, Dick Dirksen, with insights on how to catch stories. Listen, number one, listen to everybody you can get close to. The stories are not things that you sit around and make up. The stories come from lives other people are living. And if you listen long enough, you will find stories that describe human condition in a way that provide people with hope. In Act Two, you'll meet Wesley Knight, amazing preacher of the gospel, who uses stories to make the connection of the word deeper. So I think the power of storytelling um, in narrative preaching and in preaching on a whole is that it connects with how people really hear and how they how they hear and how they sense um, truth in life. Because the, the most powerful way that we communicate with each other is through story. I think it's the reason why biographies, biopics, are so uh, riveting that they, they capture people's attention because we all want to know each other's story. And finally, in Act Three, John McVeigh on how storytelling is essential in the preaching of the gospel. So here's my attempt at sketching out a definition of what it means to preach the gospels effectively in deep personal, emotional, spiritual, intellectual engagement with a gospel story, the preacher reenacts it, redeploying the story in the hearts and minds of the hearers, releasing them to follow Jesus. Our website, nadministerial.com, will have links and resources if you want to go deeper. Just click on the podcast tab. Now let's get started. Act 1, Dick Dirksen. Dick is a pastor, professional photographer, and author. His book, Storycatcher, is a must-read. We join him at a conference where he was teaching story catching. He starts with, 
why he became a storyteller. What motivated me to tell stories? Sermons were boring. <laughs> it's probably not an exactly accurate truth, but I grew up in a German family who homesteaded in El Moro, New Mexico, and we learned to tell stories around campfires. We learned to be in hogans with the, the Navajo lived on the north, the Zuni on the west, and we learned that that the way to communicate and the way to have fun was with stories. And at that point I learned that you never forget a good story. Those somehow stay. I believe that when you were born, uh, or when God created us, he wrapped us in positive Velcro, the ones with all the little hooks. And then he said, pastors, we want you to tell stories and wrap, wrap every sermon in story Velcro. And then the Holy Spirit takes it and sticks it on people wherever they need it that day. And it hangs on the rest of their life. It's a cool deal. Where to get some story resources, some brand new stories? I got one for you. Young man, uh, his father was killed in the line of duty about two years ago. The uh, Sheriff's Department kept his cruiser, 2012. Dodge Charger. This year it went up for sale in the auction with the Sheriff's Department, but they had parked it after the, this sheriff had been killed. It was an accident. It wasn't a homicide of any kind. It was just a bad deal where he was out to save somebody's life and lost his. But he had a young boy who at that point was 14. And so the car went up for auction, and the young boy really wanted the car. He actually started a Kickstarter campaign to try and get that car, and he raised $1,250. But when the auction came, an unidentified bidder outbid him. And by now, everybody in the community wants Billy to have the car. You know, it's just really, this is Billy's, I mean, it's his dad's car. His dad loved that car. Kid loved that car. Kid used to get to ride in that car. Kid dreamed of someday being a sheriff and driving this car. <sighs> he bid his full money. He gambled that he'd have two th another 500. He bid that 500. The car went for $250,000, if I remember right, from an anonymous bidder. And as he walked out of the auction grounds, depressed, discouraged, the news cameras arrived, and he was given in a little box the keys to his dad's charger. And the rest of the money went to support the sheriff's department's concerns and needs of their employees from an anonymous donor. Where do you hear those stories? That comes from the Washington Post from The Optimist. Go to the Washington Post, sign up for The Optimist. Every week you get a, about 12 of these absolutely dumbfounding stories. I don't know where they all come from. These are some questions that I found really effective all the time. How did you discover God's grace? And I can always tell who those are. There's something about them. They're softer people. They're more gentle. They listen better. They're patient. And so I ask the question, how did you discover God's grace? What's the funniest thing that happened to you in your work as a plumber? Ask it about anybody. If you know what their job was, ask them. What's the funniest thing that ever happened to you? You're a house painter, right? What did it feel like when you came home from the war to your family? Ask that one carefully, but ask it. Why have you chosen not to follow Jesus? Before you start telling stories, listen to storytellers. Pray your story. Never make up a story. Never stand up and tell one on the cuff. 
pray your story through. Make sure it's something that you and God are comfortable telling. Dick joined me for a follow-up conversation. Dick, talk to me about when you fell in love with and found the necessity of storytelling. (laughs) You know, that's a question that I hear often. When did you first learn to tell stories? Uh, How did you learn to tell stories? What happened that made stories special to you? I wish I knew a good answer to it because in my life, stories have always been there. My grandparents always told amazing stories. And I think it's more having been immersed in storytelling and narrative as a child and growing up that uh, it just became part of who I was. Talk a little bit about awakening yourself and paying attention to the world around you and not just stumbling through it. I'll take you to a specific book that when I was in high school was in the library at that high school. I have finally found another copy of it, you know, a thousand years later, but it was called Jim Bridger, King of the Mountain Men. And I was an impressionable kid sitting in San Diego, California with dead time in the library. And I read that book from cover to cover about four times. And the one thing I learned about Jim Bridger's life, Jim Bridger never had a map, but he walked from St. Louis to Salt Lake. He was the first white man, as far as anybody can really tell, to actually walk the Salt Lake Valley. And then when he had a fort at Fort Bridger in Wyoming, he walked from there to Mexico, from Mexico to California, across the Mojave and back. And if you sat down with him and said, I need to go over that big mountain. Where's the path? Where are the best trails? Where should I watch out for uh, deadfalls? And he could draw a map that is a visual, visual duplicate of what he saw. Jim Bridger knew how to see and retain everything around him. And that's that's really become my vantage point on life. If you were giving somebody um, a 90-second primer in story catching, you would tell them to do what things? Listen. Number one, listen to everybody you can get close to. The stories are not things that you sit around and make up. The stories come from lives other people are living. And if you listen long enough, you will find stories that describe human condition in a way that provide people with hope. That's the first thing I would say. Be a listener. And then the other is read, read, read. Because by reading the stories and the, the writings of others, you will find new ways to express yourself. This may sound like a sophomore English teacher. Actually, it's a seventh grade English teacher for me. Write it down, Dick. Don't just say it. Don't just think it. Write it down. Write it down. And 
I have written thousands of pages that no one will ever see because they're gone, they're junk, they, they weren't right, but I wrote them. And I read them again, and they didn't make any sense. So I wrote them again. And then I gave them to an editor who said that didn't make any sense. This, you, and I wrote them again and again and again. Uh, I don't write anything now without having my wife read it because she understands what I'm trying to say and many times is able to help me say it better. Write it down. So that would be my third. Write it down. You're not going to be a great storyteller unless you've written those stories down. They can't just flow from your lips. I don't tell a story the first time. I write it the first time. Think it through. Improve it. And then tell it again and again and again. Thanks, Dick. His website, storycatcher.world, has a treasure trove of resources. By the way, you can find links to all of the guests in this episode and more at nadministerial.com. Click on podcast. Act 2, Dr. Wesley Knight, pastor of Revision Church in Atlanta, professor at Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, Wesley Knight is on fire. He's a teacher, he's a preacher, he's a storyteller. Here's an example of the power of story in narrative preaching. Listen to how he uses a lost boy and some folded grave clothes. The power of God can move with might and strength in the darkest of places. And if you just remember his power, he'll set you free. Uh, There's a young boy in Atlanta, in in Atlanta, uh, where our pastor a couple years ago, he was nine years old at the time, and, and he was abducted, he was kidnapped, and for three hours his mother did not know where he was, and, and so he was then uh, dropped off all of a sudden. They didn't understand what happened. He was dropped off, he was freed, he, he got a stranger's cell phone, called his mother, and said, Mama, come get me, I'm free. And, and they asked him, they interviewed him, they said, how did you get free? What did you do? Did you jump out the car? What did you do? How did you, how did you get yourself out of the situation? They This nine-year-old boy gives us the secret of what to do in a dark, deathly place. He says, I was in the back and my kidnapper had me. He said, and all I needed to do was just sing. He said, I started singing, every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. He said, the kidnapper kept telling me to be quiet. He said, I sang louder, every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. And he said the kidnapper started using expletives to get him to shut up. He said, that's when I went to the chorus. God, my Savior. God, my Redeemer. God, my Deliverer. And he said he got so sick and tired of my praise that he pulled over and let me go. Can I let you know that if you're in a place of death and despair in your ministry, don't you know the light of God can shine in your death situation? And if you just worship him, God will set you free. He's patient. He's a promise keeper. He's powerful. Ah, but as I let you go, I think this strange reason to worship uh, can be accented with this story I heard from Dr. Elise Barrymore. She said, you know, back in, uh, back in the ancient culture and even up to today, in the best of eating places, in the best of restaurants, 
What happens is that uh, it is etiquette, it is proper etiquette, that if you've enjoyed your meal, if you've enjoyed your meal, there is a way to show a sign of courtesy that you enjoyed your meal. If you've eaten and, and, and you've had your food and you didn't really enjoy it, you take your napkin and you throw it down. Because if you throw it down, it means that the food was unsatisfactory and that you will not be returning to this establishment. She said, but if you fold your napkin, what it means is your mission has been accomplished, you got everything you came to get, and you plan to return. Well, I think that Jesus folded his napkin because he said, I've accomplished my mission. I've done everything I plan to do. And when he folded the napkin, he said, I'll be back. I want to praise God for a Jesus who still folds the napkin. Don't give up on your ministry. He folded the napkin. Don't give up on what God called you to do. He folded the napkin because the napkin means I'll be back. Wesley graciously joined me for a follow-up conversation. So I think the power of storytelling um, in narrative preaching and in preaching on a whole is so that it connects with how people really hear and how they how they hear and how they sense um, truth in life. Because the, the most powerful ways that we communicate with each other is through story. I think it's the reason why biographies, biopics, are so uh, riveting. They, they capture people's attention because we all want to know each other's story. And then story is powerful because it's really congruent with the Bible. The Bible is not a collection of truths or doctrines. It's actually a story. It tells us the meta-narrative of God's story and how humanity fits into that story. And so that's why I think preaching, whether it's narrative preaching or what some would call expository preaching or whatever preaching that you're doing, I think I think the Bible necessitates that we have story embedded in the sermon because that's how God communicates what we call salvation history to us. It's through story. And that's why the Bible begins like a good story in the beginning. Talk about those two stories, because I thought the story of the little boy was unbelievable. And then the way you connected it to the folded grave clothes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that story is um, a story that I picked up uh, from a chaplain whose whose name slips my mind now. Oh, Reverend Dr. Elise Barrymore of Chicago. I remember she was talking and she told that story. She didn't use it for the purpose that I used it for, but I just thought as I looked at the imagery of the folded clothes of Christ, that that story really kind of captures what I was trying to say in that message, what the folded clothes meant um, uh, when Jesus folded those burial clothes. And so I thought it was a, a very clear connection between the fact that a folded napkin suggests that the person would return and that the folded clothes of Christ 
I thought was a hint to, a nod to the fact that Jesus would return. And of course, he promised that prior to the whole issue with crucifixion. But I thought that that was just a great way to tie it in. And and one thing that I found, whenever I tell little vignettes, little stories like that, you'll see from the preacher's perspective, you'll see people kind of lean up. Sometimes they'll actually sit up. There's a keenness that happens uh, when you when you say, uh, let me illustrate this, or let me tell you a story, or a little boy went to a restaurant one day. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that really captures people. And so that's why um, I use that story to connect to the folded clothes. One of the things that we're, we're wrestling with, those of us who teach preaching, is because people, the way people uh, process life is really through story, and we're kind of rediscovering that, that, that preaching has to change because it does have to be participatory. It cannot be this viewing kind of a thing. And now that we are in this virtual church space that none of us really know when it's going to end, it's even more necessary that we draw people into stories because they're not in a physical space. You can't read their, their faces. You don't see body language. Most of us are preaching into an empty camera, into a camera in an empty room, and so the story is really the only way that we can get them to participate and to engage. So I think that's, that's powerful. All things Wesley Knight, including his book, Thirst, can be found at wesleyknight.org. To hear the full sermon, go to nadministerial.com. Act 3, John McVeigh. John is president of Walla Walla University but he's a passionate storyteller and teacher of the craft as well, especially as it relates to the most important story, the gospel. He starts with some great questions to ask yourself as you bring story into the teaching of the gospel. And he mentions Wesley Knight. Here are some questions. Is the Bible story or passage central or is it sidelined? Are the words of the story, the passage from the Gospels, heard? Do we actually hear the passage? Is it good storytelling this day and age, given the audiences that that we confront, the kind of media that they're used to, and and so on, their generation, uh, the way they experience reality? Uh, We've got to be good storytellers. We've got to know how to tell a story. So, is it good storytelling? Is there a sense of plot, of rising action, of suspense? I'll argue a bit later that suspense is one of the most underutilized uh, assets in Seventh-day Adventist preaching, or at least Anglo-Seventh-day Adventist preaching. Let me put it that way. Well, well, Pedrito's going to get started back there if I'm not careful. <clears throat> Does the preacher, and, and uh, this is not a, you can't choose from this list. It all needs to be present. It needs to work together. Does the preacher demonstrate deep, personal, emotional, spiritual, intellectual engagement with the story passage from the Gospels? Has the story done something to him, something to her? 
Before that preacher stands in the pulpit, can you tell that? Bonus question. Bonus question. Is there any element of the, of the dramatic? Could you in some sense label the sermon or the proclamation or parts of it, could you label parts of it as performance? Were any visual aids used? Is there any theater going on? Bonus question. Now, to reflect back on those two case studies from last evening, uh, just to think about them the bit, a bit. You remember that Wesley spoke against the backdrop of the tragedy at Charleston. That's where he began, right? Uh, against the backdrop of that tragedy, we visit the empty tomb and we worship over the folded grave clothes of Jesus. And he offers three powerful points. Number one, he's a promise-keeping Savior. Number two, he's a patient Savior. He, he waits for Mary as living witness of the resurrection. And in the meantime, he says, I'm just going to sit here and fold some clothes. <laughs> wow. And then thirdly, he's a powerful Savior. Uh, the grave clothes are intact as though they had never been used. God can deliver you in a way that no one will ever know. And then he shares the Barrymore story. If you've disliked your meal, you throw your napkin down. But if you've enjoyed it, if you've savored it, what do you do? That was an amazing, powerful, rhetorical, uh, exciting way to conclude. It feels to me like we had two very good case studies last night of not preaching about the Gospels, not preaching from the Gospels, not taking off from the Gospels, but preaching the Gospels. We'll get back to John McVeigh in a minute. NADministerial.com is a growth and resource center. If you want to do a deep or even deeper dive on what you've heard today, go to NADministerial.com. Let's wrap up with John McVeigh. Three points on how we should preach the gospel. Taking our cue from the gospels and these points that we have laid out, the history of the gospels and so on, how should we preach them? Point number one, we should be creative. The Gospels are creative. The Gospel authors are creative. If you believe they're literary artists, uh, you, you will try to mimic them, right? You, you too will try to be creative. We should be creative, perhaps, by retelling the story in modern dress. I think we have to be careful with that. So the way we tell it in modern dress ought to track on our deep engagement with the story itself. Secondly, we should use suspense. And as I argued a few moments ago, I think suspense is one of the most underutilized resources in Anglo Seventh-day Adventist preaching. Special attention is appropriate for the element of suspense so ubiquitous in the literary genres used in the Gospels. If you track on the Gospels, the parables and, and the stories... You know, suspense is everything to the way that literature is structured. Some time ago I heard an interview with a famous writer-producer of soap operas. It was on NPR, and I'm driving along, you know, and it's just kind of going on in the background. And then somehow I tuned in. I tuned in. Uh, while I'm no admirer of that particular genre, 
I did appreciate the writer produces response to this question, what is your secret? What is the formula that has enabled you to write and produce so many successful episodes? That was the kind of question he had. And, and here came his answer. Tell us, tell us. Uh, are you ready? Tell us, tell us. <laughs> he replied, here's my formula. You make them laugh, you make them cry, but whatever you do, you make them wait. Not bad. Not bad. Suspense, the lifeblood of soaps, is too often missing from preaching the Gospels. And a final point. We should hone our skills as actors and storytellers. Now, maybe this is just my advanced stage in life. But I've decided that I've probably read about enough books on homiletics. But what I really want to do is I want to go to the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee. I want to school myself by listening to great storytellers. I want to take a MOOC. You know what a MOOC is? A free mass online course. M-O-O-C. Google MOOC and storytelling and find the best free MOOC on storytelling you can find and participate in it. So let me conclude by once more just reviewing our uh, definition. Preaching the Gospels effectively in deep personal, emotional, spiritual, intellectual engagement with a Gospel story. The preacher reenacts it redeploying the story in the hearts and minds of the hearers, releasing them to follow Jesus. Thanks, John. That's great stuff. I hope this has been insightful and inspiring. Now get to work using the power of story in great storytelling. Thanks for joining us for NAD Ministerial's Best Practices Podcast. We're available on all your favorite platforms, so please like, share, and subscribe so you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. We're here to help you grow. Keep going, but most of all, keep growing for God's glory. Best Practices is a production of NAD Ministerial. Executive producer, Dr. Ivan Williams. Written and produced by Halloran Hilton Hill for Anything is Possible. Co-produced, edited, and mixed by Chris Marion for Sound is Everything.